0: On today's Compassion Radio. First of all, they are very suspicious and they are afraid of anything. If they hear a helicopter, they would shake and they will be very afraid of everything. It takes a couple of days to gain our trust. All of them are impressed by the love our people show. And this is the love of Christ. Our volunteers are still able to smile, to welcome them, to, to hug their kids, and to say that here is a good place for them.
1: What do you do when the neighbors drop in? Offer them a cold drink? Wonder if there's a problem? Or fear they're going to ask to borrow your tools? Hi, Bram Floria here with Compassion Radio, the daily journal of the kingdom in action, providing hope and welcome in a world full of distrust and fear. We're glad you've joined us today. Ukraine, you might have noticed, is having some trouble with this next-door neighbor, to put it mildly, and the disaster has spilled over to all of its other neighbors as a result. The remarkable thing is how open and willing so many nations have been to help bear the burden along with Ukraine. The nations of Poland and Romania especially have borne the brunt of it, and the magnitude of their effort is truly astounding. I know, I've seen it for myself. Right at the vanguard of this massive humanitarian effort is the church. How have they been holding up? Well, it's time to drop in on one of our partner churches in Galatz, Romania, to find out. We're welcoming back to Compassion Radio, a dear friend that we have to spend time with at the beginning of the Ukrainian war, as Russia was invading, as people were fleeing. I had the honor of sitting with him and his wife, Nicoletta, as we talked through what would be the consequences for the church, especially in Romania and other parts of Eastern Europe, as they face an onslaught of refugees. They did not shirk away from the responsibility, and I was honored to see how they did that. We'll tell more of that story today. So, Doreen Dumitrashku, welcome back to Compassion Radio, my friend.
0: Thank you very much, Brian, for inviting me to Compassion Radio. really appreciate you and your heart for working alongside with us.
1: It is growing day by day. In fact, I was eager to get back to Ruxi and hear her report with the teams inside the refugee center there at the church. And I haven't been able to track her down. I understand she finally managed to get a little bit of rest time out of country. So I'm looking forward to hearing how that went with her, too. You work your people hard, but you also cherish them. I've seen a lot of honor given to those who serve and that you have treated your congregation with a very tough kind of love. You've had to force them to step back at times to get the kind of spiritual, and physical rest they need. And that includes you, my friend. You and your wife, Nicoletta, were on your way back from a fundraising trip in the uh, U.K., When you had a horrible accident on the way back into your hometown of Galats, Romania, and I was there that day. Mm. It was a life and death situation, and none of us could believe what happened to your car. Well, when you run into gravel trucks, things get pretty bad. How has the healing been? I understand your wife had a broken clavicle. She was having a hard time restoring, but
0: what happened? First of all, again, praise God we are still alive, and He spared our lives. And this is a miracle. We, we still want to praise God for this miracle of sparing our lives. Uh, we are better every day. I can uh, do the normal job I, I did before the, the accident. It took me a while. After three months, I can say I, I almost fully recovered. I still have some pains in my body sometimes.
1: When we were talking, I was afraid that you would be bruised head to toe and have broken bones everywhere. And you did have cracked bones and a, and a crack in your back. Yeah. I know that. But you also had a pretty severe concussion. And I was concerned about memory retention and how fast you were going to rebound from that. What has been the impact over these past few months from those injuries?
0: Yeah, it was hard because I couldn't uh, stand for many hours and I was very tired. And it seemed like like my body, my whole body needed to rest and to sleep a lot. I'd say the the first two weeks after the, the accident, I was very lazy and sometimes I felt guilty for not being able to Tend to walk, to make Zoom calls for, yeah. to someone. But praise God, no other, no major consequences from uh, from the car accident. Um, my wife surgery on her clavicle, and she still has pain in her arm, and she's recovering the the arm, which which is a lot of pain for her body. We're struggling, but praise God again for being alive. Yeah,
1: we do. I would encourage our capacity radio listeners to keep praying for the Dumitrashkus Besides the fact that you serve in ministry nonstop, the burden you have day by day of caring for those who are refugees, flowing still like a fire hose through that city of Galatz, and the people who serve them, which means their entire congregation... As we described it last time, you have mobilized your entire congregation to be involved with refugee work, and it transformed your campus of your church into a refugee center. So almost every square inch of the place is dedicated to the ministry of saving lives and helping them reach safety. Yeah. So I'm I'm proud of you for that because it shows the the deepest ethic. I think it's been part of the Christian Church since the very beginning, from the times that the Christian churches would face down the emperors of Rome and take in children who were abandoned in the streets and save them, even when the Roman government said you may not. They defied the odds to make a difference and transform societies, and you're doing that today. And I just want to give a shout out where it's due. Okay. Give us an update now, since we were last together in March. You've had how many people, would you estimate, through the Refugee Center that have been sent on to other refugee camps in other countries?
0: Yeah, so uh, I would say we have about 4,000 people so far through our center from the first day till now, most of them being women and and children. Right. We could see a change in the dynamic of uh, how things evolved at the beginning uh, people who had a good orientation they had enough money to travel good cars they came they stood for one or two nights and after that they followed their way to other friends or family from Europe um but now it seems that the poorer the left uh, yeah. behinders are coming people with no orientation they come just to find a, a place uh, for rest And um, it takes around one week for them to recover from the trauma they suffered. And after that, we we start to process their information and to try to uh, counsel them and probably to connect them with other churches or other countries to find a place to stay. The Most of them would think uh, the world will end very soon and will go back to Ukraine. And Mm -hmm. it's like they, they kept this mindset from the beginning, from the first day till now, they would say the same thing. We want to stay close to the borders so that we will return. But unfortunately, news showed that uh, something else is happening and the war will last, unfortunately, for many of them.
1: Yeah. When I was talking with Dr. Jennings about expectations, um, he has worked with the folks in the UN and refugee relief for you know, 30 or 40 years now. And since we've partnered with them in many parts of the world, we ask him, what can we expect of the people that are there? And he reminded us every time that watch out for false hope. Hmm. That people's expectations for what is normal for them and how quickly things will resolve themselves is never realistic. Right. And that the average for the UN, they would even say, and they're not trying to be sensationalistic about that because they don't want people in the camps. They want them to go home. But the average stay that people expected in a refugee camp or in some kind of temporary housing was between five and six months Mm. at most. Most were hoping for weeks. But they could understand that it could be a few months. The average stay in a UN-hosted or sponsored encampment was somewhere between 18 and 20 years. So the likelihood of Ukrainians even though they're in a much more of a first world situation than other refugees around the world, Mm. the likelihood of getting back home soon is nil. Because the country, as the president of Ukraine said yesterday, he's already appealing to the EU for almost a trillion dollars worth of rebuilding once the war is done and recovered, and they they have a country to build. And that could take years and years, again, to get things back to where people could inhabit it. So you have more people then that are literally walking out. The contrast being, when I was there, it was blizzard conditions, below zero, freezing... And people were stuffed onto open-platform ferries to get across the Danube River from Ukraine into Romania. Now, as you mentioned, it's well over 100 degrees Fahrenheit in the summertime, so the other conditions are just as severe. Heat stroke could be happening for people. And these refugees are walking their way rather than riding in air-conditioned or heated cars. And they're still crowding onto these ferries to get across to Romania. And they're encountering probably people who want to serve them who are very tired. They're worn out from months and months of serving Ukrainian refugees. So they probably are suspicious that they won't be welcomed anymore. And then just that one-hour drive from the border to your place can transform everything for them. Their expectations and their hope can rise. What's it like now, Doreen, for the people that are arriving in your camp, in your church? Mm -hmm. When they arrive there, what do they see now? And what do you tell them
0: as they arrive? So these days we receive people from uh, damaged zones like Donbass and Lugansk. They uh, yeah. they came very close to the border for a long period of time. And now they decided to cross. So mostly we receive yeah. now people from Nikolaev or um, yeah. even Odessa. Odessa started to be hit by Russian a lot. First of all, they are very suspicious and they are afraid of anything. If they hear a helicopter or a, a noise, uh, they would shake. And they will be uh, very afraid of everything. Uh, It takes a couple of days to gain uh, our trust because people come from trauma and um, they want to know us. All of them are impressed by the love our people show. And this is the love of Christ. But uh, our volunteers are still able to smile, to welcome them, to, to hug their kids and to say that here is a good place for them.
1: You had employed the talents of a number of young people from Ukraine that could speak both languages fluently, or at least could speak English and Ukrainian and or Russian, and help you in the process of helping others. How are you doing right now with the kind of talent you need in people that can communicate well and deal with situations and questions that come up and understand and translate for your other volunteers that speak only
0: Romanian yeah, this is the main issue, translators, because um, the most of them don't speak but Russian. Mm-hmm. We have a couple of volunteers in our church. I have a lady, but we employed from Ukraine. Praise God, she speaks Romanian and um, Russian. And we have people from Moldova, Republic of Moldova, who also speak uh, Russian, but they come for a couple of hours. We've been uh, happy to have volunteers from the United States who speak English and Russian. And they helped us very much because they could bridge between us and the people who come.
1: And the reason that Russian would be as essential in this phase of the war is because most of the intensive warfare being fought right now is in the region of Ukraine, where Russia had sent emigres over the last 100 years to settle yes. within the borders of Ukraine. And they speak straight up Russian. That's right. the language that they were taught in the country they came from. It's the language they were taught to keep inside the nation of Ukraine in order to water down the culture there and basically seize the country by squatting on it. Compassion Radio will continue to keep bringing you encouragement from the Word, inspiring stories from the front lines of faith, and awesome opportunities to make a difference for the kingdom around the world. But we need your help right now to continue doing just that. Friends, we're focused right now on the current crisis in and around Ukraine. I personally met with dozens of refugees and kingdom workers who ran to the front lines of need, And have selflessly given of themselves completely, thoroughly, and as I saw to the point of indescribable exhaustion. I saw refugee and servant alike shiver in a vicious blizzard that struck the first week of March. They were very much alike in one important way. They were absolutely determined to survive this ordeal and to redeem what their lives have become. We need to follow their example. Will you help us today? We have blankets and food to buy tanks to fill with gas, and medicine to help them survive the days ahead. This need is not going away anytime soon, even as this rescue operation rapidly sweeps the refugees farther west, away from the fighting. Friends, really, we need you now to step up. Please, give generously, even sacrificially, right away. I know that God will be pleased if we do. So call us today at 1-800-868-2478. Mail us at P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. Text the word COMPASSION to 53445 or give online at CompassionRadio.com. Bless you, friends, for your brave and activist faith. And now, back to our discussion. In order to water down the culture there and basically seize the country by squatting on it, They are citizens of Ukraine. Ukraine knows that. They treat them as citizens, so they're still internally displaced people. They're not looked down on as second-class citizens, but it's still difficult sometimes for Ukrainians even to communicate effectively with all of the subtleties and the language differences. And so you have to find people that are in-country, out-of-country. You mentioned something about what you're doing with education. I'll get to that next, but it reminded me of something. How are you doing as far as employing the talents of other people that could be translators for you, that may not physically be there in Galatz. Do you have people you could actually get on the phone or some resource center that could be doing translating for you remotely? If someone needs to get on the phone and say, I need to ask a question so my Romanian host can understand me. How do you handle that when you don't have
0: a person right there, a volunteer to help? Yeah, we have people from uh, Ukraine and from Moldova who are available to be called almost any time of the day or night. Good. And praise God for Google Translate. Sometimes yes. it works and sometimes it, it's a mess. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's a tool. It's better than 10 years ago. And uh, yeah, yes. uh, we are happy to, to know that there are people we can call anytime for around and can help us with the translation.
1: So the people you sent through when I was there were at high velocity, I would say. They're moving as fast as they can. They all want to race to the center of the European Union as fast as possible in order to not be shut out. And Romania and the other uh, NATO countries of Eastern Europe were doing their level best to help that process. And we're working very closely with Poland and other European countries to help that go as smoothly as possible, move people as fast as possible, because you knew there'd be more. Mm Mm-hmm. I would assume, because of the changes in the dynamics of the war and the number of people still flowing, that the speed at which they're moving through Romania is probably slowing down. Yeah. So how long are the stays now, and what's the makeup of the people that are coming through the camp? It's still probably mostly women and children. Right. Describe what the average experience is now for them. How long will they be in Galatz and or Romania, and what do you expect for the future? hmm
0: so, um, probably in in the whole uh, city of Galatz would be 1,000 Ukrainians living, not in our center, but in, in Galatz. Some of them are uh, mm-hmm. apartments, some uh, are in different centers for refugees. And these days the number that we host is uh, lower than uh, the average. Right now we are around 40 people every day. And they would come, the most of them would come for a couple of nights, and we try to connect them with uh, Europe and send them. Also, we have people who are waiting for visas. uh, If they want to go to UK, they need to wait a lot, like two months or so. Mm -hmm. And even today, we spoke with a lady who who stays in our center for more than three months now. She's still waiting for a place to go. So the dynamic is so different, and each individual is, yeah. is different from the other one.
1: Now, the children that are coming through, I assume most of them are either toddlers or young school age. Um, you decided to try to start tackling some of their needs, knowing that the summer's wrapping up, mm-hmm. fall's coming very quickly. And these children, not just probably yours that are staying at the center, at the church compound, but around the rest of the city, are going to need some help with education or trying to get some normalcy as much as possible into their lives so they can continue to grow and not wash out of school and not forget to learn. So what are you doing now to plan for what's happening this fall?
0: So we understand that uh, if we want to to be of use for um, refugees, we need to think differently than the first phase. Unfortunately, the, most of the centers are stopping now. But I think that we must read uh, this information and this need um, in a deeper way, which means we need to provide for long-term health, long-term education for these uh, refugees. And we as center are thinking to transform part of our building into a school for Ukrainians. Mm. We want to employ some Ukrainian teachers. And to make our space at the church part of it available for teachers to come and train their children because life must go on for them yeah. abroad. And this is a a heavy project it's um it takes all of my energy these days to create this to try to communicate to another culture even though we are neighbors we speak totally different language and um different uh, educational system so it takes me time to understand their educational system and to connect with good teachers Um, and we are praying for finding the best teachers to work alongside our team so that from september these kids can find a a good place a clean uh, classroom a safety school building where they should be connected through zoom to their teachers from ukraine and after that to stay for a couple of hours to do their homework and also to do different activities uh, for an after-school club, because some of the moms are already involved in the life of the city. They found jobs where they go to class to learn okay. Romanian language, because they want to stay longer here. Yeah, this is the burden we want to share with you, and uh, we want to invite people to be part of uh, this project, because we believe that the education is a key for people, And these children must have a normal childhood, even though they are beyond their borders.
1: Okay, when I was there last time, there was a frustration that was being expressed by you, by your your lieutenant, and by other folks on the staff, that you couldn't get the resources you wanted because you couldn't sell a building. You tried forever to sell one of the buildings on the property because... In your mind, that was going to be the way to solve all the debt issues, right. to pay down anything else the church was obligated to pay. Because they were giving all of their gifts and offerings now, instead of to normal church operations. They were pouring that all into taking care of refugees. Right. So things were kind of dicey. And God kept telling you, no, don't sell this building. Right. And it was frustrating for you. I asked at the time, well, are you going to need to expand? And the response I got was, what? <laughs> we have enough on our hands right now. It became obvious to you all that God was saying, we need this building for something. And pretty soon, you knew you needed a whole bunch more beds right. to house refugees that were coming through. So you decided to rehab the upper floors of your main office building and the other older educational wing to do something with that. So you did a whole lot of rehab. I know that. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that the reason that you're even entertaining the possibility of providing education for refugees now is because you still have those facilities. Right. Right. Is that true?
0: Absolutely. So uh, we we understood that God wanted us not to sell the property we, we had a sale to cover the debts of the church, but God wants us to live by faith and to mm-hmm. be used by Him. So we decided to keep the property and to fundraise to cover the debts so that we can be used. So we see that building now as a huge opportunity to serve, serve long-term Ukrainians. You know, God speaks sometimes directly and sometimes we can understand Him after things happen so it's a while to process and to understand and in his wisdom he is always right even though yeah. we've been stressed and we are looking for a buyer to finish everything it's seems that god wanted us to extend and yeah you are right yeah. it's time to think a long-term mission and it's time to think that God uh, allowed us that property so we didn't buy so far, so that we will be able to serve Ukrainians long term. This is a journey of faith and that's again living by faith and of uh, uh, being obedient to God, even though we do not have all the resources, but we want to plan and to continue and we, we experience God's provision as we are obedient to him.
1: And it's important for our listeners to understand that the environment that your church sits is not like most Americans would think outer belts of the suburbs of America where there's opportunity to buy another plot of land and build something different or expand where you are. Most bigger churches in suburban and rural places of America would have multiple acres to work with. You're in very much an urban environment in a city that's known as being industrial. It's kind of like the Pittsburgh of Romania. It has a number of technical universities and colleges and it's a very much a working man's town, but there's not anywhere for you to expand. So if you had let that building go at the time you intended to, there would have been nowhere to go right. to add on right now. Right. So you have a small parking lot and off street parking is very limited, but people are used to walking blocks and blocks to worship on Sunday mornings. And now pretty much the entire neighborhood is being co-opted for the ministry there. I'm hoping that you're still living well with your neighbors and that they're supportive <laughs> of your work. Oh, yeah. Because it could be oh, a little, yeah. little disruptive for them, too.
0: Right, yeah. Praise God for our neighbors, and uh, we are praying for him, and I know it's hard. I imagine myself being a neighbor of the church, and uh, the life would be (laughs) very noisy.
1: As we would say in America, it's time to bring out a lot of plates of cookies to people and visit them and sing them a song or something. Mm -hmm. There's a lot to be said for the diplomacy of good food, so I hope that you are finding ways to love on your neighbors that way. Yeah. Now, you have these new neighbors. They're Ukrainians. They're doing their work. They're doing the hard work of learning your language. They want to be involved with your economy. They want to be close to home because I, th- I think they probably still have deep heart set on going back someday. But they don't want to be so far away that it'll be across the world journey just to get back to their home country. So Romania is, for them, a sweet spot. You have peace right now. You've got a growing economy. It's not completely vibrant yet, but it's come a long way in the past 10 years. And so they would see this as being opportunity. And you want them to have opportunity, too, and learn skills and use them. So let's talk through this school, then. You have working parents, most of which have taken up some kind of labor jobs, probably. Not a lot of high school jobs available yet, but they're probably learning the language better so they can get better jobs. Mm-hmm. As they do this, that means that they're away from their kids a good part of the day. So you mentioned not just education for school. You mentioned after-school clubs and other kinds of things that give a kids a safe environment and a community. So... You have thousands of kids around the community now that are in different refugee centers. You've got yours. You've got pass-throughs. You've got long-term residents. It's going to be a mishmash of people, and yet you have to have some kind of consistency. You will be an anchor for that community as you build out the school. I'm certain of that. How would you design it then? How many kids would you want to be educating this first year? And what do you imagine it would be like for them to be able to be taught by remote instructors in Ukraine who are Zooming in to teach them? and the volunteers that are there with them in your refugee center, helping them to learn.
0: Right now, I can give you the information that I have, and that might change as I grow in understanding how to serve Ukrainians. So yesterday I had a discussion with a teacher from Ukraine, and she said, we are here in a center, and we have 50 kids with moms. And if I tell them your intention to start a school tomorrow, you'll have 50 kids in your building. Yeah. So they are ready to move because they are looking for a place like this. Even today, we had our board meeting in the morning, praying and making plans how to create this space. So first of all, we need to fundraise for starting this program. And probably we will start with a group of 30 children having three teachers employed. and. We'll see how things will grow. But for sure, there's a huge potential to grow in in this ministry.
1: We'll have more from Doreen Dumitrascu on tomorrow's broadcast, so I hope you'll tune in then. In the meantime, please drop us a line through our website let us know you heard us and are standing with us as we support the church on the front lines of faith and compassion. Pastor Doreen and the family at Emmanuel Church in Galatz, Romania, need us to stand with them as they do the heavy lifting in this project. Call us at 1-800-868-2478. Write us at Compassion Radio, VO Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. Text the word COMPASSION to 53445. Or make your gift through our website, CompassionRadio.com. We need you, friend, so contact us today.